0: Welcome to the Liquid Church Podcast, a place where you can hear the timeless truth of God's word in a way that's culturally relevant and cutting edge. Today, you're tuning in for our series, Relationship Goals. We live in a world that has more relationships, but less love, more sex, but less intimacy. Whether you're single, dating, married, or single again, let's learn to make right what the world has gotten wrong about relationships. It's our hope this message will help you discover how God's story relates to your own and that you will leave feeling encouraged. Thanks for joining us today, and enjoy the message.
1: All right, how are we doing, Liquid Church? Great to see you guys. Let's give a big welcome to our campuses, Church Online. Glad you're here. I'm Pastor Tim. Thrilled you're with us as we kick off our series, Relationship Goals. For the next four weeks, we're going to talk real candidly about uh, love, sex, dating, marriage. We got something for everybody. I wanted you to know this. This February, we actually created a whole lineup of Relationship Goal events To take place throughout the month of February. And these are during the week. They're outside of Sunday. I want to let you know we have events for every age and stage. We've got college students, young adults, mature singles, married couples, parents and families, all sorts of stuff. Because our goal is to help you connect relationally with people in your season of life. For instance, um, we're going to have a Dare Dash for college students on Friday, February 5th. There's a whole list of these things. On the 12th, we're going to have a marriage night. This is an online event for married couples over Valentine's Day. On the 13th, we're having an amazing race, apparent kind of soon addition based on the reality show that's in person. And then on the 26th, we've got a young adults meet-up. Now let me define young adults, okay? This is ages 22 through 35, and it's actually young adults not just in New Jersey, but Florida as well. It's hosted online by Brian Rowe, and just trust me, this is not another Zoom meeting, okay? And on the 19th we have actually for mature singles. That's age 35 and above. It's actually a virtual mixer online. It's kind of like community speed dating with real-time group chat. So we got a little something something for everybody, okay? Whatever your age or stage of life, we just want to help you hit some relationship goals this month. So you can find out more. Just visit liquidchurch.com slash relationshipgoals. You'll get all the dates and the details. You can RSVP. And here's the cool part. Some events are in person, some are online, but all of them are free. Does that fit your price book? I hope so. Uh, That's our gift to you. You're welcome. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to kick off our series with a message. It's actually based on a book I wrote six years ago called, You Married the Wrong Person. And uh, actually they dug a few copies out. Does anybody want a copy of this? Who would like a copy? Free book, okay. Don't let it hit you in the face. Your kid, way over there. Oh, there you go, you got a ways to go, girl. One over here. I'll tell you what, if you're, uh, if you're online when you sign up for some of these events, I think marriage night, they're giving this away. But uh, I named it that because anybody who's been in a relationship for any amount of time, if they're honest, they just kinda wonder at some point, you know, did I marry the wrong person? Full disclosure, uh, I've been married 22 years. uh, It's my lovely wife, Colleen. There she is. And uh, we actually met in freshman year of college in writing class. Uh, I went to the school in the Midwest. It was Illinois. Everybody was, like, dressed very preppy at the time, very, like, L.L. Bean. And uh, at the time, my wife had big, aquanetted, blonde hair. When I say big hair, it was like Bon Jovi big. You know what I'm talking? Like from the 80s, like aquanet. And I, I walked into writing class, and I was just like, oh, must marry this girl. Uh, actually, not a joke. We got engaged on July 19th, 1997, and we were married exactly one year later in 1998. Now, I look at that picture, and I think, who are those thin people, you know? <laughs> It's funny, when I tell Colleen I was writing this book called, you know, You Married the Wrong Person, she was like, I 100% agree. <laughs> but I think anybody who is in a relationship, if they're honest, they, you have to admit to having thought this, you know, at some point. Because the reality is, for us, it was like, I think we were like five months into our marriage that I first began having my doubts. Like, you know, like a lot of men, I had pretty high expectations going into marriage, uh, especially when it comes to sex. Uh, Colleen and I, we didn't have sex before we were married. We knew God wanted us to honor him with sexual purity, but we struggled. It was hard. And so I kind of came into marriage like kind of rip-roaring, ready to go. You know what I'm talking about? And I just like assumed like, hey, man, uh, I assume we're going to be swinging from the chandeliers every night. Or maybe every other night. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) married people are like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah, reality check. Record scratch. Um, At the time, Colleen was working hard to build a small business in New York City, and uh, I was actually teaching high school. And so I'd get out every day around 4 o'clock, and I'd get home around 4.30, go for a ride on my mountain bike, you know, like work out, and, you know, get coffee with friends, and wait for her to come home, and her train would come at 7 o'clock. And, of course, I'd expect her to come off and make dinner. I I would never, I'd like, make dinner? Maybe dinner reservations. Uh, But you can do that, and uh, then some time for some chandelier shaking. And uh, I'll tell you, here's the reality. My wife would come home dead tired, and she'd just collapse on the couch and say, can we just order Chinese and go to bed early? And I was like, what? This is happily ever after? The first few months were hard. And so my, my disappointment actually built up, and a friend told me, he goes, Tim, you need to express it. That's what Dr. Phil says. You, you got to express your feelings, you know, to her. And so uh, one Saturday morning, we're having coffee. I said, hey, honey, I just to get something off my chest. Um, I, I Kind of have a secret to tell you. And I said, um, she goes, sure, what, what is it? And I said, well, my secret complaint is not enough sex. And she said, oh, well, I have a complaint, and it's not a secret. You're a slob. And I was like, what? She goes, everybody knows it. And then she kind of lit into me. She's like, I come home, and this place looks like a frat house. There's a trail of cereal on the floor. There's plates in the sink. Your underwear's in the corner. It's disgusting. I come home, and this place is trashed. And I was shocked. Like, for me, it took me five months to wonder, like, did I marry the wrong person? I actually asked Colleen how long it took her, and she was like, oh, yeah, at least, you know, four or five days. And Colleen was so upset, she actually called her dad crying. She's like, Tim doesn't take care of the house for me. And, and her dad said, Colleen, pack your bags. You can come move back home with us. You know, Clear out clear out the bedroom. We'll have the marriage annulled. I was like, thanks, Dad. You know, like, come on. What, what support there? Anybody else have in-laws who are outlaws, okay? Uh, sadly, divorce runs pretty deep on her side of the family. And that was my introduction to the, uh, the FOO factor. Uh, F-O-O, FOO. It stands for Family of origin, the foo factor. And the truth is, we all come from these different family backgrounds, right? We all have these relational patterns, uh, ways of dealing with conflict or avoiding it. And what we do is we drag that family baggage right into our relationships. And it was a tough go. I'll be honest. First five years, we really struggled. Um, I'd like to say it just got better, you know, but there's no magic wand. We fought. We struggled. We hurt one another. And though we never said it, I know there were times when both of us laid awake at night fearing the same thing. I think I married the wrong person. And you know what? In some ways, we did. Because according to another book, the Bible, you always marry the wrong person. Or if you're single, you always date the wrong person. <laughs> because according to God, there's just one problem with relationships. They all involve two sinners. Two sinners. I think the number one source of relational disappointment today is, is and this impacts all of us. And what I want to do today is just speak to three groups of people who are either in person or maybe you're just watching online. I want to talk to those of you who are maybe seeking marriage. Maybe you're single right now and you're, or you're sliding into a DM and you, you hope to be in a relationship someday. Or maybe you've seen your own parents, you know, painful divorce and you're like, I don't want to make the same mistakes. Let me just tell you something. If you're single or you are single again, this is going to liberate you as you seek a spouse. I also want to talk to those of you who are surviving marriage. You know, let's be honest. In our church, we got a lot of couples who are just in survival mode, you know. They may have a couple of kids. They're juggling jobs, daycare, you know, school from home, sports, whatever. And, and, you know, they have the complaints. He's not being a help or she's not meeting my needs. And what happens after time is that passion just kind of takes a back seat to the pressures of everyday life. And maybe you're starting to have doubts right now, you know. Maybe you spent the past 12 months in survival mode i won't give you hope today. And lastly, there are those of you who may be trying to save your marriage. You know, maybe you're on the brink of a breakup and you've decided, you know, we're going to give it one last, last go. I'm going to watch this. But you've, you've tried everything and this is it. God's like got to do a miracle. And maybe you don't have much hope, but you're watching online today and you're willing to lean in and listen to what God has to say. Let me just say, awesome. I have been praying for you this week. And let me show my cards. I really believe if God can raise his son from the dead, he can resurrect a dead marriage. Amen? He has that power. God can breathe new life into it. And if you don't have faith for that, just just borrow mine, okay? Just borrow mine for the time being. That is completely fine. Now listen, I want you to lean in because I'm going to tell you the secret to setting relationship goals that go the distance, and I don't want to leave this room. Don't put this on the internet, okay? It's not about changing your partner. (laughs) I already told you you married the wrong person or or you're dating the wrong person, but here's the thing so did she. Or so did he. The Bible says sin and selfishness actually make every single one of us incompatible. And so what that means is God's got some work to do in you and me and all of us. And that's what I want to look at in Ephesians chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can open there or flip in our mobile app, Ephesians 5. This is the Bible's premier passage on relationships. Specifically, it's going to talk about marriage, and I want to tell you how the series is going to go. Next week, we're going to talk about singleness and dating. Uh, The following week, we'll actually get into sex. It's going to be kind of PG-13, so parents, heads up. That's week three. But we're going to start right here today, because that's kind of the foundation for it. And what the Apostle Paul does here in Ephesians 5 is he goes back to the very beginning. He quotes Genesis and describes God's design for, for relationship, for marriage, specifically this way. He says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become what? One flesh. Now, you've heard that before. And Paul says, but you know what? This is a profound, what's the word, church? Everyone say mystery. Mystery. Can I tell you something? For the first five years of our marriage, that's what it was, a mystery. <laughs> My wife and I didn't have a clue how to make love last. And the Greek word that Paul uses right here is actually the Greek word mysterion. Mysterion. It kind of sounds like a pro wrestler, mysterion. But the Greek word has a couple meanings. It actually means hidden. It's something hard to understand. It's hidden from you. That's what it felt like for me. It was like, how did two people stay together? The truth is, there were were many nights where Colleen and I, we just kind of went round and round in an argument. We'd we'd circle back. I thought we had it worked out. And all of a sudden, boom, this bomb would go off. And we collapse in a bed. I'd be like, man, this is a mystery. (laughs) I don't understand why God wired us so differently. In the Bible's realistic. it's like marriage is a mystery. It's actually beyond us, but, but the, second, the word mystery has a second meaning. It actually means divine insight, meaning a transcendent truth that God reveals through the Holy Spirit. Insight means you see inside to this deeper truth. Because here, here is the truth. It is actually possible to hear this idea that, you know what? You married the wrong person. And find it liberating. Because, see, once you admit that you and your partner are actually incompatible from the start, you are suddenly set free to embrace the one you're with in all their weaknesses and flaws. Now, now this ain't magic, okay? This, this takes hard work. But watch this. God's word is going to give us insight how to do this. So I want to unpack this biblically, and if you're taking notes, I want to look at four things here right out of Ephesians. First, I want to look at the mystery of marriage, because all the current trend lines of modern marriage is that it's in a free fall. Why is that? We'll do a little diagnosis of the state of our unions. The second thing I want to look at, though, is the history of marriage, because something took place, and it's taking place right now in our lifetime, that explains the shift in mentality, especially for millennials. There is a phenomenon known as the me marriage. We'll talk about that. And then finally, we'll get to the biblical meaning of marriage. So you catch this? The mystery, the history, me marriage, and then the meaning of marriage. So let's talk first about kind of the mystery of marriage, because there's this growing sense, I think, right now in our culture that, you know, traditional marriage is in this kind of free fall. If I were like a doctor and doing like a stress test, it's like, oh man, all the vital signs say that marriage is sick and failing. Three main symptoms, really, over the last 40 years, so that's in our lifetime. The first is a decline in marriage. Right now, for the first time in our nation's history, the majority of adults, 18 and over, are single. Did you know that? First time in our history. In 1960, about 75% of the adult population was married, three and four. Today, it's just about one and two, but there's 25% fewer marriages, so more singles than ever. And many millennials, of course, getting married later or not at all. Uh, some of you know I'm talking about, if your parents, you might have uh, boomerang kids, adult children, who, who kind of move back home at an age where maybe you assume they'd be married and starting families of their own. Now watch this, because as there's been a decline in marriage, at the same time there's an increase in divorce. The divorce rate has doubled what it was in 1960. Nearly half of all marriages end in divorce, and that statistic is pretty consistent inside and outside the church. And I'll just take a pause and time out here. I want you to understand something about liquid. We welcome divorced folks in our church. We don't have condemnation. We have compassion for you. My hope as a lead pastor is that this could be a place where you can actually heal and find family, come around you and just love on you and support you. But if you just look at those three trend lines, you kind of see why there's a growing pessimism right now about marriage, especially among millennials. Because they look at their chances of having like a stable, dynamic, lasting marriage are like, not great. And even if it lasts, they kind of fear it'll become boring or routine. And so it's no surprise then that today more than half of adults cohabitate, or that means they live together before getting married. Now understand that's a new phenomenon. In 1960, virtually no one did, around 1960. This generation grew up in a culture of hookups and thirst traps and kind of sliding into DMs. And if you don't know what that is, you can look it up. And second thought, don't look it up. Just trust me on this. But living together is considered, it's just normal for, for a lot of young couples today. Wide social acceptance. And what drives this is this view that modern relationships are actually suffocating and just kind of lead to unhappiness. And so young adults kind of opt for something in between, right? Friends with benefits, right? Living together seems to make sense. Like, hey, let's, let's see if you're compatible, you know, if you have chemistry. Of course, the problem with this is that nobody is compatible, let me tell you something, if Colleen and I hadn't been married, man, if we, if we had just moved in for five or six months, she would have been out of there, back to daddy. But see, we had a commitment that was actually higher than us to Jesus Christ, which made us lean on God and learn how we we're going to make this work. But if you just look at the trend lines right now, the state of our unions is not healthy. Relationship goals are broken. And whether you're married or not, we all have these hurts, right? Stories of broken hearts we could share but my question is, like, well, how did we get here so far from the biblical model? Because it wasn't always like this. So can we talk for a couple of minutes about the history of marriage? Because you're living in a unique time right now. The decline of marriage is actually a modern phenomenon spanning the last 60 years. It happened pretty pretty quickly, but for hundreds of years in Western civilization, the goodness of marriage was, like, just assumed, Right? Like, generations thought, man, this is the building block of human flourishing and civilization. It was actually founded on God's design. Again, in Genesis, the Bible, the story of God, it opens with a wedding, right? Adam, the first man, and Eve, the first woman. God brings them together, but it's for two purposes. God says, first, it's for protection, right? God creates Eve out of Adam's, does anyone remember his rib? Why? So she can be close to his heart and side by side as an equal partner, she comes under his wing, and two become one. They weather the storms of life together. So marriage, in God's view, is for the purpose of protection, but also the purpose of procreation. God's original mandate in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply, is at the core of marriage. I underline this verse. Sex is God's idea. It is. It's a blessing. I know, some of you are like, he talks a lot about it. God is not a prude about this. God actually encourages it for the procreation of children, and our enjoyment. So understand from God's view, family's like foundational for a flourishing world. But those two basic purposes of marriage went on questions for hundreds of years in Western culture. And nobody saw marriage like a legal contract or a piece of paper filed for tax purposes. Rather, marriage was seen as a divine covenant between three people, man, woman, and their God, to whom they pledged to love and serve each other for life. And so everybody like just understood, man, it requires self-denial. You're going to have to give up certain freedom to be faithful to their spouse and kids. But you guys know, shift happens. Turn your neighbor say, no, don't say that. <laughs> a new view came on the scene in the 18th and 19th century. It changed everything. It was called the Enlightenment. There was a shift. The Enlightenment emphasized the freedom of the individual and the happiness of the individual. So marriage is no longer about we, two becoming one. It's about me, my happiness. And liberated men and women should choose the lifestyle of that man. Whatever fulfills you personally, you do you. Sound familiar? That's the, that's the Enlightenment mandate. And the purpose of marriage was redefined as meeting my emotional needs and sexual fulfillment. So watch this. Instead of protection and procreation, the purposes of marriage morphed into preference, personal preference. I want somebody who completes me. And into pleasure. And they better be a freak in bed, too. Forget God's design. Forget kids. Forget sacrifice. It's all about me. My needs, my desires, my satisfaction. And so what happened is the Enlightenment ripped marriage from its spiritual moorings and redefined the purpose as self-gratification. And it gave rise to a phenomenon that the New York Times calls the me marriage. Maybe you saw this. The Times ran a revealing article with this headline. I love this. The happy marriage is the me marriage. And the upshot is that marriage used to be about we, but now it's about me. And the article says the relationship goal of marriage is really self-fulfillment. So when you look for a partner, you got to find somebody who is going to fulfill all of your needs, who's going to enlarge your world whether it's a, a weekend away, or, or you enjoy going to new restaurants together, or you find matching income so that you can upgrade your lifestyle. The expectation, they said, now of modern uh, romantics is that their partner will make their life better, enhance it, and provide fulfillment. Let me read you this list uh, from, uh, from page 34. It says, uh, you won't be happy until you find someone who is, get ready, here's the list, physically attractive, intellectually stimulating, romantically creative, emotionally supportive, financially secure, and he or she should share your passions and exceed your dreams. And on top of it all, she better be low maintenance. (laughs) Heaven forbid they have any needs of their own that interfere with the primary job of showering you with love, respect, affection, and support. So single adults, you got an impossible job. You got to find a man or woman who doesn't exist right? I'll tell you, anybody who has visited online dating sites, you know this. There's what we expect, <laughs> and then there's reality. Yeah? If <laughs> You guys know, if it's too good to be true, right, it probably is. You know, Cornell University study found that 80% of online daters lie about their height, their weight, their age. And I know some of you ladies are thinking, like, that's okay, I'll, do, I'll take a fixer-upper. I can change him. Yeah, listen to me, ladies. Unless he wears diapers, stop thinking you can change a man. Say amen if you agree. Listen, I I'm just say it, okay? It's trapped singles in this no-win situation. Because look at this. Never before, watch there, have there been lower standards for marriage, but higher expectations for who our partner will be. You see this? As a pastor, guys, I talk with single adults who just feel paralyzed by their pick of a perfect partner. In married couples, like when you're faced with the flawed humanity of their spouse, they just go online, right, and start surfing around, see how they might upgrade. You know, it's funny, during the, uh, the Super Bowl a couple years ago, I saw this commercial for Axe deodorant, you know, the shh, like body spray, and uh, I thought they captured this crazy quest for the idealized mate perfectly. Check this out. New Axe Apollo. Join now at axapollo.com for your chance to go to space. <laughs> Why settle for a lifeguard when you can have an astronaut, ladies, right? <laughs> guys, you can't, guys can't like stop thinking about the woman. They're like, there was an astronaut? I didn't even, I didn't even see that. What? Social media is, is, is setting these totally unrealistic and impossible relationship goals. Listen to what the National Marriage Project reports. It said, A pornographic media culture contributes to unrealistic expectations of what their future soulmate should look like. Influenced by sexy images of young women on MTV, the internet, and Victoria's Secret specials, listen to this, men may be putting off marriage to their current girlfriend in the hopes that they will eventually find a combination soulmate slash super babe. Guys, this is the reason why so many singles feel lonelier than ever because we have these airbrushed ideals in our heads, they let many perfectly potential, very ordinary mates pass by, because like, well, what if something better comes along? And this is the reason many married couples feel disillusioned, right? Like the moment conflict hits the relationship, or heaven forbid, or their partners show weaknesses or shortcomings, they start looking elsewhere. Like, like, I get it, ladies. You thought you married the man of your dreams, but then you realize Prince Charming has hemorrhoids, right? Or halitosis, bad breath. Or, or your hot babe, your hot babe, is prone to depression during the winter. How about that? You gotta go on meds. Or a few years into the marriage, oh, the lifeguard has love handles. But look, there's an astronaut. I, I actually don't like the Axe commercial, you know? I, I did find one that is way more realistic. Let me replace that image in your head with one that shows you what a real relationship looks like. (laughs) Nobody marries the astronaut. You're going to marry the guy who watches sports with the bathroom door open. We marry someone with flaws, with habits, with disgusting habits, and deep needs. And listen to me, if that repulses you, you're not ready to be in relationship. Because none of us marry the lifeguard of Victoria's Secret model. When I was married to Colleen, I thought it was so important that she'd be really athletic. So I was like, man, I love being outdoors and sports and stuff like that. And I remember, like, she played along at first. She's like, I'm gonna go buy some, you know, cute sneakers. And she got this, you know, you know, she's, you know I'm got this New bound sneakers. And, and she won't even go in the ocean now, man. When we go down, after 22 years of marriage, let me look. don't don't stumble. None, neither of us are Baywatch ready anymore. Okay, <laughs> the, the, see the world has these warped relationship goals, but then there's reality. And I'm telling you, that's the problem with marriage. It always involves two sinners. You know, it's funny because, like, the idea of a me-centered marriage, it sounds empowering, but it's actually paralyzing a whole generation. There's this theologian at um, Duke University. His name's Stanley Auerwas, and he puts it this way. He says, the assumption is that there's someone just right for us to marry, and that if we look closely enough, we'll find the right person. This moral assumption overlooks a crucial aspect to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that we always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, (laughs) and he or she will change. The primary problem is, this is profound, listen, learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. Think about that. See, the quest for like a, a perfectly compatible partner it's actually impossible. Why? Because when you get married, you only see the tip of the iceberg of that person. You know, a few weir- years ago, I, um, I performed the wedding of a couple at church that seemed compatible in every way. Um, the groom actually, uh, he kind he remind, of reminded me of James Bond. His name was Jim, but he was also this kind of like, you know, tall, confident, you know, kind of handsome guy. And, and the bride, honestly, she like worshipped him. And in premarital counseling, I said, hey, what, what first attracted you to Jim? And she's like, oh, I just love, I love that he's an extrovert. She goes, I'm really shy, but he's like so confident and he, he's talkative. When he comes into a room, he just takes the room and starts talking and people gather around. So two years later, the bride emails me with the subject line, you know, need help now, like all caps. And so she comes down, is like, what's the problem? She goes, Jim won't shut up. He just goes on and on and on. He never listens. I just, and I'm, just, I'm smiling, right? And I'm like, ah, so so you're you're discovering, you know, the downside of what first attracted you to him. It's actually interesting. Psychologists have a, a, they call it the goldmine landmine phenomena. Come in here. When you're dating, you think you hit the goldmine. You say, oh, he's a verbal processor. I have someone to talk with. But then after marriage, that same quality becomes a landmine that blows up the relationship. He won't shut up. I can't get a word in edgewise. I'm telling you, goldmine, landmine. And she goes, no, 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 no. Pastor Tim, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not that. We're not compatible anymore. We took one of those personality tests. I'm still an I for introvert, but he's a J-E-R-K. I'm just telling you. It doesn't, doesn't work anymore, anyway, right? <laughs> I'm telling you, man, love is blind, but marriage opens our eyes, doesn't it? And it also changes you. Because once you're married, you're never the person you were originally. I actually hear that all the time from couples who are on the brink of divorce. I'll be like, what's the problem? He's like, she's changed, Pastor Tim. She's, she ain't the same girl I married. Well, no crap. You know, like, sorry, I'm a pastor. Holy crap. What, like, what, what did you expect, man? That carefree girl? Like used to whisk away for the weekend, man? She's juggling three kids. She's working from home in a pandemic. She's mostly tired. Struggles with anxiety. Well, that's not who I married. Thank you, Captain Obvious. Guys, people get older, and every relationship goes through peaks and valleys and seasons in which you have to learn how to what? Love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. So listen up, man. She's not the problem. And ladies, he's not the problem. Stop throwing those elbows. I see them right now. You know what makes you incompatible? Sin, and it's both of you. According to the Bible, every single person in this room online is the wrong person. We're all spiritually broken and self-centered at our core. But the question is, faced with this reality, will you run away? Or will you actually run to Christ? See, this is where the true meaning of marriage comes in. Go back to our original text here, Ephesians 5. Look at the secret of marriage that Paul's talking about. He says, a man will leave his father and mom, be united to his wife. The two become one flesh. It's a profound what? What? That's the first half of the verse. But what's the mystery? What's the, the secret to this? He says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about, say together, Christ and the church. It's not about you. It's about Christ and the church. Wait, what? Jesus and his bride? In other words, he says, Paul says, the secret of marriage is that God has a different relationship goal than you. God designed marriage For a main purpose. Here's his goal. That marriage would reflect his own radical love for you. So husbands and wives, we're actually supposed to love and serve our partners like Christ did the church. And be like, wait, what? What did Jesus do for his bride, the church? He loved her. How much did he love her, Tim? He loved her this much. He stretched out his arms on a cross and he died for her baby. Why? Because she was perfect? hardly. Have you seen the church? The scandal of the gospel is that God's love looks nothing like your fickle versions of human love. His love is fierce, it's unconditional, and it comes exactly when we least deserve it. Romans 5.8 says this, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Let me tell you something, those five words, while we were still sinners, it can change your life. It will change your relationship goals. The gospel is good news. What's the good news? While you and I were damaged goods, broken by our sin, in the middle of our mess, Jesus Christ comes in, lays down his life to forgive our flaws and, watch this, restore our relationship to God the Father. And on the cross, when Jesus joined his life to ours, in a sense, Jesus married the wrong person, didn't he? He deserved better than the likes of us, but he picked you, and he picked me, and he chose you before the foundation of the world to enter into an eternal relationship with him, a marriage, in spite of your sins and flaws, my weaknesses, your betrayals. Jesus promises, he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. According to the Bible, That's the relationship goal every human being needs to know. Marriage, it turns out, reflects the gospel. And without the gospel, marriage won't work. See, when you pattern your life after Jesus, he says, you're not going to be able to do this on your own. So I'm going to actually give my life and pour the Holy Spirit into you who will give you my power to sacrifice and put your partner first. You'll lay down your life like I did. Paul writes this. Look at this. He says, husbands, love your wives as best you can. No. Husbands, love your wives just as, say it together, church, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So we discover something deeper as Christians than what the world tells us. Marriage, it turns out, isn't about self-fulfillment after all. Remember the me marriage? From God's perspective, it's about self-sacrifice. It's about laying your life down for the other, just as Christ laid down his life for you to restore your relationship with your Father, heavenly Father. And here's the catch. You can't do it. You, I can't do it on my own. It's only after you receive Christ's love for yourself does he give you the capacity then to give that love to another broken person. So I know some of you are in, have relationship goals right now that are like upside down. I talk to a lot of people who says, man, Tim, I don't get it, man. It, like, it, it always kind of like, starts out good. It's like, we've got great chemistry. But at some point, the relationship like, goes off the rails and it blows up. And I'm like, I don't get it. Like, what's the problem? You know what the problem is, candidly? You don't have a relationship with God. And that's why you struggle with your partner. Because if you don't have the sacrificial love of Christ in your heart, you will turn them, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your spouse, into an idol. In other words, they will become your God and you're going to look to them for love they can't possibly fulfill. You understand this? See, if you don't have Christ to fill the deepest longings of your heart for everything, for what we all need, love, worth, acceptance, you will demand it of somebody. And you will start making crazy emotional demands that others can't possibly meet. I need someone to complete me, to always say the right thing. Cover me when I'm always lonely. Hold me when I'm sad. Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Can you do it? Ah! Tim Keller writes in his excellent book, The Meaning of Marriage, he says, it's the illusion that if we find our one true soulmate, everything wrong with us will be healed. But that makes the lover into God, and no human being can live up to that. It's what the Bible calls idolatry. American idol, our nation's full of it. Early in our marriage, I actually did this with Colleen. I made her into an idol. I didn't call it that, but I just had expectations that she's going to be the the world's best lover and the the best chef and the best businesswoman and and the best homemaker and the best mother. She'll she'll be always available, upbeat, and just understanding and endlessly patient with me. In essence, I wanted her to become Jesus to me. I made her my idol. And when she couldn't be that miracle worker, I thought, "Well, well, maybe I married the wrong person. But here's the rub. There's a guy named Jonathan Edwards, and he said, listen to this. When the person we idolize fails to meet our needs, eventually we will demonize them. Whatever we idolize, we come to demonize. So if you're single and you can't find a man, you get bitter and conclude, you know what? All men are terrible. If you're married and she struggles with anxiety, you shake your head, you go, man, she's just, she's like so high-maintenance, man, she's cray-cray. That's the satanic sequence. Whoever you idealize, eventually you will idolize, and when they can't be Jesus for you, you will inevitably demonize them. But this is the good news. The gospel says if you will set a relationship goal of looking first to Jesus and then applying the gospel to your relationship, you don't need them to be perfect or fulfill every need. They don't have to play God for you and meet every whim. In fact, did you know, we all have needs that our spouses were never designed to meet. I'm just telling you. Over the last two decades, because of our perfectly imperfect marriage, Colleen and I, we've learned to draw on Jesus in like a whole new way. I'm just telling you. Like 22 years in, sex is still important, and more frequent, thank God, but it's not everything to me. You understand what I'm saying? There's an intimacy that Jesus offers me that Colleen can't. It's not this against her, it's just reality. 22 years in, Colleen will tell you that Tim is no longer a complete slob. (laughs) She trained me to hide things in the hamper, you know? (laughs) Like like I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm like, you know what? If Jesus died on the cross for me, the least I can do is pick up my underwear for her, you know? Paul tells both men and women, look what he says here. We'll end with this. He says, Submit to each other out of reverence for who? Christ. is a third wheel. There's verticality if you're going to have success in the horizontal level. And let me tell you, it's liberating to admit that Colleen has needs I can't meet. I, I try to listen. I try to serve the best I can. But I'm just a flawed man. You guys know, know that. I ain't God, and that's why I'm glad she has Jesus. My wife may have picked the wrong man on earth, but she chose the right one in heaven. Amen? And let's hear it from my wife. She puts up with a lot me telling all these stories on stage. Thank you, baby. And that's, that's no cop-out. Listen to me. I, I, the message here is not lower your expectations. I'm challenging you to elevate your relationship goal. Your number one relationship goal should be that your partner loved Jesus Christ more than you. Because if your, your partner loved Jesus more than you, guess what? You have an excellent shot at a fulfilling, forgiving relationship, even when they have gaps in other areas. Guys, that is just the God's honest truth of how you make marriage work. You apply the gospel of love and forgiveness daily, sometimes hourly. This is what the the world has not given you this message. But the gospel is an invitation to come and die to yourself. So is marriage. Who wants it? Hmm, Yeah, that's what I thought. (laughs) Paul says, I'm just telling you, It's the secret to relationship goals. And then he closes with this command. I love this. Just capture this picture. You've been at a wedding? Look at this. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a, what's it say, radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. He's picturing a bride in her, her white wedding dress. You know, I often too, um, I used to officiate a lot of weddings. Now I only do them for family. But my, um, my favorite part was always the moment before the bride made her grand entrance. You guys know, right? Like everybody stands, and, and the doors in the back swing open, and then she glides in, right? This vision in white coming down the aisle. And that's the picture that Paul's painting here in Ephesians. He's like, imagine it, a radiant bride dressed in all white. And whenever I stand up there, you know, I'm the officiant, but everybody's looking that way towards the bride, and I just like to catch a little glimpse at the groom's face. Because no matter how tough that dude is, you know what happens. (sighs) His like chin starts quivering, his eyes start crying the moment he sees her because he's overwhelmed by his bride's beauty. And at that moment, let me tell you, in his eyes, she is flawless. It doesn't matter if she's, she's overweight, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds. Doesn't matter if she walks with a limp, struggles with insecurity. When, man, when she floats down that aisle in that white dress, she is perfect in his eyes. Listen closely. If you're a Christian, that, my friends, is how God sees you right now in Christ. He doesn't see your flaws, your sins. They are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And because of his sacrifice, you are remade in God's eyes. You are radiant. You are spotless. You are without stain or blemish. And that is the only wrinkle-free relationship you'll ever know. Here on earth, God calls us to view our spouse the same way. Not as perfect in their humanity, but as being perfected in Christ. So understand what this means. As you learn to look beyond their surface blemishes, whether it's the family baggage or the annoying personality quirks or even sexual sin, you are doing gospel work. When you look past the chronic lateness or the occasional moodiness or... I don't know, the crooked teeth or the hairy back. (laughs) You're you're doing gospel work because you're imitating Jesus in a profound way. You are loving and forgiving and transforming by love a broken yet beautiful human being. Just as Christ is in the process of transforming you with his love. That's God's relationship goal. Haven't you heard in the beginning? The Bible's a story of God. And he opens his story with a wedding, a wedding of the first Adam and his bride in Genesis. We know how that relationship ended. It went down in flames. But did you know, if you flip to the end, spoiler alert, the Bible ends with a second wedding, a wedding of the second Adam and his bride. That's Jesus Christ and his church in the book of Revelation. And the Bible describes that marriage is meant to last for eternity. 10,000 years and then forevermore. What that means is the only wrinkle-free romance you will ever know is waiting for you to experience in heaven. And that's so hopeful on earth. Because even if you came from a broken home, even if you've been divorced once, twice, you've made mistakes you regret, even even if your family isn't picture perfect, guess what? God can break generational dysfunction and give you supernatural power to love in a brand new way. The gospel makes a new model for marriage possible, and it ain't your parents' model. It's not the culture's model. It's the model of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? Give them some praise because that's the gospel. And that's the relationship you're invited into. Now, next week, we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty, roll up our sleeves of singleness, dating. We're going to talk about sex in a couple weeks. But I want to just close today by laying that foundation and really praying for two groups of people. First, I just want to pray for single folks. You've been on my heart. I've been preparing for this. And then I want to pray for married couples. So would everybody please stand up? Just stand up wherever you are at our campuses, if you're in church online. In fact, if you're single, I'd like you just to open your hands. Would you do that right now? If you're single, open your hands. Just a way of, of saying, God, I'm opening my heart to whatever future relationship you have for me. And this is just a moment to receive the love of Jesus, to ask him for patience in the waiting, the pick of a partner of his choosing. And if you're married and you're next to your spouse, man, I want you to take your wife's hand And yours, just hold her hand and open the other one to God because that's a symbol too. To hold on to her, you're going to have to hold on to the love and power of Christ. So let's ask him for that right now. Jesus, we thank you for this good news. Lord, we look at our own capacity (laughs) for whole, healthy, lasting relationships. And we just acknowledge we fall so short. But Jesus, you've given us hope. You have given us a model and you've given us power. Jesus, you are the only perfect God-man to walk this earth and live perfectly, sinless, always putting the needs of others ahead of your own. And you loved us unto death, death on a cross. And so right now, Father, we receive the love In grace and forgiveness of our Savior Jesus. Right now, just take a minute to ask Jesus Christ to cleanse your heart. You're aware of the flaws, you're aware of the brokenness. Forgive your sins. So ask him now, forgive me, God. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross and that you've promised when we confess our sins, you're faithful, you're just, you'll never leave us. You'll always forgive our sins. You'll wipe them clean and make us radiant without stain or blemish. Renew hearts right now. And Father, I pray right now for my single friends. I pray for those, Lord, who they feel a little hopeless or they, maybe they feel frustrated. God, would you let them know you're, they're not alone, not by a long shot. You're right there with them, God, and you have plans for them. They have the most important relationship with you in their heart. And I pray, Father God, that you'd remind them of the future, of what you have waiting, all good things in store. Father, I pray right now for the married couples. I pray, Father, when we look at their marriages, it would remind us of you. That as we submit to each other out of reverence for Christ, the world would see something different. And I pray for deep healing in marriages that are broken, in relationships that need restoration. Lord, let this church be a hospital, Lord, for relationships that come out come in broken, but leave stronger than ever before. That's our dream. Lord, I pray your blessing on this whole Relationship goal series. I pray, Lord, that whatever season of life we're in, you'd breathe us, hope into us now. We receive the forgiveness, fill us with newness of life through the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we say. Everybody set? Amen. Amen, guys. Well, God bless you guys. I look forward to Relationship Goals part two next week.
0: Thank you for joining us today. If you want to check out Liquid Church for a weekend service, small group, outreach, or clean water trip, you can find out more about us online at liquidchurch.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, go ahead and subscribe or share it with a friend. Thanks again for listening.